Tonight is episode three of our series, Making Our House a Home. And as I mentioned prior, this is our annual vision and mission campaign. We do this every year during November. And we speak about the vision of the church, the mission of the church. We speak about what it means to be the church. So if you were with us last week, we talked about building the home of God. What does it mean for us to be the church to each other, to love each other and care for each other and support one another and welcome one another where all people can belong? And tonight we're going to be looking at what does it mean to bring the home of God to others for we're not only to build the home within these walls and within this community, but to bring the home of God to our city. Pledge Sunday, as I mentioned, is the closing of this campaign, and the reason that we invite you to pledge your time and your talent and your treasure is because we believe that there's power in committing. When you commit to something, it shapes you, it transforms you, kind of puts you on the hook. That's why we all make these New Year's resolutions, and the best New Year's resolutions are the ones that you share with other people. When you commit to something and you say, hey, hold me accountable. And so the reason that we invite you to commit, if this is your church home, to pledging your time and your talent and your treasures, because we want it to shape you. We want you to know that you're a part of this church. We call the campaign Making Our House a Home because for many of us, a house and a home are two different things. A house is something you drive by. It's something you visit. It's something you rent. But a home is the place that you reside. It's a place of intimacy and relationship. And we want the church to be a home, a place of relationship, of community, where you have ownership, where you're with family. But that takes us committing to that. And so when you pledge, we want to help first shepherd and guide you. So the reason that we invite you to pledge your time and your talent is because we as leaders, from myself to Johnny and Simone to our elders and our deacons, we want to help you find your place in the church and in God's mission in this city. Every single one of us in this room have a purpose that God has given us overarching but also localized for the place that he has us and you're in Miami. God has a purpose and a calling for you here and when you give your time to join a small group or to give your time to pray for the church or to serve or you give your talents to join one of the bridge teams, the ministry teams here at the church, you're stepping into opportunities to discover and to deepen God's purpose and his calling in your life. And we want to help you make those connections because we know sometimes it's hard to move into the core of a community in the church. So you pledging helps us to care for you that way of your time and your talent. And the reason that we invite you to pledge your treasure is because we want to operate as a church with financial wisdom. We are 100% dependent on the generosity of you. Your tithes and offerings are 100% of the budget. We don't have extra income coming in in any other place. It's through your generosity. And so when you pledge your time, your talent, and in specific, your treasure, it helps our finance team develop an accurate budget. And we all know, because we all have individual budgets, that accurate budgets are important. And so we want to know what God is bringing in, how we can use it to care for people here in this church and in this city. And I always tell you this, this is a really important disclaimer. Myself, the pastoral team, and our leadership, none of us see any of the financial treasure pledges. Have no idea. 
It only goes to our finance department. And that's important because we want that to be secret and, and, and anonymous. But it is helpful for us, and we do it as a family and encourage you to do it as well, to operate out of an abundance mentality. I know that for many of us to pledge our time and our talent and our treasure can be difficult because you're thinking about next year and you're like, I don't know. I don't know how much time I'm going to have. I don't know how much talent I'm going to have to give. I don't know how much treasure I'm going to have to give. But when we operate with an abundance mentality, believing that God is going to pour out generosity in our lives, and we step into that in faith, God does something powerful. And so I want to encourage you to operate with an abundance mindset as you pledge in this campaign. And I'm going to tell you this just so you know. We don't follow up with you every week like, hey, you know, we saw that you pledged. None of that, okay? This is more for you than it is for anything else. And so I want to encourage you to step into that with us as we do as a family, as our leaders do, all of the pastors, all of the staff, everyone, because we're all together, we're the church collectively, to step into this pledge. And the reason that I'm telling you that and kind of closing with that is not just because we branded this Sunday Pledge Sunday, but because it ties into the way that we're closing this series in Luke chapter 19, which speaks about bringing the home of God to others. See, we have to be committed to one another to build the home of God amongst ourselves to be a place where all people can feel welcome and can belong even before they believe. But we also have to be people committed to action. Our faith is not passive. We're called to be active in generosity, in a spirit of care and concern, of bringing Jesus into spaces all over our city. And part of our pledge as a church, individually and collectively, is to be a church that will bring the home of God into every space and place in our city. And so our passage this evening is Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me as well, as well as the notes are on our app if you want to follow along. But before I jump into that, I want to share a couple church thoughts that I was reading this week, and I think it's important for us to digest why this is so vital that we're a church committed to one another, desiring to be family, building the home of God, and then bringing the home of God into the city and our workspaces and our social circles, because some of these perceptions on the church are not great. Here are some of the statistics that have come out recently. Of non-Christians, this is an American study, 80% of non-Christians have a negative view of the church. 80%. 20% of Christians have a negative view of the church. Okay, think about that. 80% of non-Christians view the church negatively. 20% of Christians, so 20% of this room, look around at each other, who is it, views the church negatively, okay? And the question I was asking myself is why? Why is 80% of the non-Christian, those that are not within the church, why do they have a negative view? Why 20% of us view the church negatively? There's probably several reasons, but here are three that came up in statistics. 50% of non-Christians don't trust pastors, That's not great, okay? I don't like that one. So 50% of all people I interact with don't trust me. 50% of those under 40 think the church is detached from real issues. And 44% of people under 40 think the church is judgmental. So 
there's an issue in our culture, which is there's a highly negative view in many spaces of the church, of us in this room. And 50% of non-Christians don't trust people like me. And millennials and Gen Z in particular believe the church is detached from social issues and is judgmental. Do you see a correlation of why there's a negative view on the church? Not, the, the leadership is not trustworthy. The people are detached from real issues and they're judgmental. There's a reason. We need to absorb this and understand this. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you resonate with some of those positions. This is not unheard of. This is not the first time that people have had these feelings and thoughts because sometimes we can be so focused on our own personal spirituality, our own personal religion that we have our backs to people. And we give off a perception of judgment or that we're not trustworthy or that we don't care or that we're detached. That's exactly what we see in this passage in Luke chapter 19, which is a really famous passage. And I don't want to dive into it for us to see what God has for us here. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. He, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This takes place right before Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem when they're going to be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. This is right before the last week of Jesus' life. So at this point, after three years of public ministry, Jesus has amassed a following. People want to see what Jesus is going to do, what he's going to say. He has power. He has influence. And so as he's passing through Jericho, people are surrounding him. They want to see Jesus. They want to hear from Jesus. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And people are intrigued. They're excited. And as this is taking place, we read about a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, it says, is a chief tax collector. Now, that statement alone has three implications. The first is, it tells us that Zacchaeus is Jewish. He is not Roman. He's not of another place. He is Jewish. Because the strategy of Rome would be when they would move into different villages and countries, they would kind of woo the people 
to become tax collectors for them because they knew if the tax collectors were people of that region or of that city, they were far more effective than if they were Romans transplanted into the city. So Zacchaeus is Jewish, and he's also the chief tax collector, meaning he's the big boss. He's in control of all of them. He is very wealthy. It says that he's rich. That's an understatement. He would have had a house on the Sea of Galilee. He would have had the nicest caravan with all the horses. I mean, he had it all, guys. Why? Because the way that tax collectors worked in this time was that Rome told them, here is the tax. Your job is to collect the tax for Rome and send it to us. But we're going to give you Roman soldiers so that you can extort and exploit people however much you want on top of that tax, add an extra tax for yourself, and make yourself wealthy. So that's exactly what tax collectors did. They would, they would oversee the city. They would collect the taxes for Rome, but they'd give extra tax on top so that they could become wealthy themselves. That's the third implication, which is that Zacchaeus is hated. He's a traitor. He's betrayed his own people, and he has exploited his people, and he's a social outcast. Nobody wants anything to do with Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. He wants to see Jesus, but as he's moving, he can't get to Jesus because the crowd is pushing him out. They want nothing to do with Zacchaeus. They're probably linking arms. And Zacchaeus cannot see over top because he's a short king. Okay? He's small in stature. So he runs on ahead and he climbs up this tree, hoping as they move, they'll move by him. And they move by him. And Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. And then he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And the crowd grumbles. Why would Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah... Hang out with someone like that. Literally the worst of society. A tax collector. Zacchaeus. So they go to Zacchaeus' house. And in that house, Zacchaeus is changed when he meets Jesus. When he spends time with him. And he stands up and he says, listen, I'm going to give half of all my goods to the poor. And anyone that I've exploited, I'm going to give it back fourfold. Most biblical scholars believe that that statement from Zacchaeus, that act of bold generosity would literally impoverish him. To the point where he had no money left. And then Jesus declares, Today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You hear this story and there's two things I think that jump out. First is the power of grace. That Jesus is looking to pour out his grace on all types of people, including people like Zacchaeus. And it changes him to the point of Zacchaeus being a completely different person than he's been his whole life. He's been greedy. He's been looking to impoverish other people for himself his whole life. And now he's willing to impoverish himself for the sake of others. He's living out of generosity. It jumps off the page, but there's more. And scripture is so layered. And I want to dive a little bit deeper for you to see what I really believe is coming out of this text for us. And it's focused on vision, on where everyone is looking in this passage. And so let's look at that again. Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus, and I want to go to his name. The name Zacchaeus means 
pure. So he's literally an oxymoron. He's a pure tax collector. He's not living according to his name, but that's his name, pure. Zacchaeus has two problems and he has one goal. The two problems is first his height. He can't see. And the second problem is the crowd. Normally, when you take pictures, all the short people go to the front, right? And all the tall people are in the back. And when you have a parade or a festival, you let people that are smaller, especially the children, come in front so they can see. Well, now the crowd doesn't want anything to do with Zacchaeus. They hate him. And so they are keeping him out and he can't see over. But his goal is to see Jesus. So he's going to do whatever it takes. He runs on ahead to this tree And he's getting up into this tree, climbing up into this tree, which actually would have been a sense of shame. People would have looked at him like, why was he doing that? And as he's up in that tree, and the crowd is moving, and Zacchaeus is trying to see Jesus, notice that Jesus sees Zacchaeus first. As he looks up in the tree, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he makes this statement, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Go to your house today. In this passage, everyone sees something. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And the crowd sees Zacchaeus as a label, as a problem. He's the sinner. That's why they say, why would Jesus go to the house of a sinner? Everyone here sees something, but let's go even deeper because it's not just what they see with their eyes. There's also this connection to their internal vision that is motivating this. What are they seeing internally that's guiding all of this? You see, we have to go back to Jesus and who he is at this point. Jesus is well known. It's been three years of public ministry of him performing miracles, him speaking about the kingdom of God, that he's the Messiah who's come to die and to rise. And people don't quite understand, but Zacchaeus is Jewish. He knows of the prophesied Messiah. He knows of who Jesus claims to be, and he's desiring just to see a glimpse of him. Which I believe is is very clearly suggesting, as we see in the transformation that happens in his life, that Zacchaeus internally is looking for something. He's looking for healing. He's looking for hope. He's looking for satisfaction. He's been trying to buy joy. He's been trying to amass power to make himself feel good and confident and successful. None of it's worked. So now he's trying to see Jesus. He's looking for healing. He's looking for hope. He's looking for satisfaction. It's guiding him internally. Jesus sees Zacchaeus with his eyes, but he also sees Zacchaeus' faith, which is why he says, hey, I'm coming to your home. And he declares salvation over Zacchaeus and his home. And then the crowd, they just see Zacchaeus as a problem. He has no business being near Jesus He has no business being near God. In fact, tax collectors were kept out of the temple. They weren't allowed to get close to God. Zacchaeus is someone that you turn your back to. He's someone that you sneer at and you judge and you push away. I imagine them locking arms to keep him out. Sight is key in this passage because it's showing two primary visions. One is the vision of God. And secondly is the vision of God's people. First, you see the vision of God. Jesus, in verse 10, says it very clearly. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Who is the lost person in this story? Can you say it out loud? Zacchaeus. You got it. There we go. Gold star for everybody. Zacchaeus is the lost person. 
He is lost. He's trying to be found, but the crowd won't let him in to see Jesus. He's lost. Who sought after Zacchaeus? Jesus. He looks up. He's intentional. He's engaged. He sees Zacchaeus. Who saves Zacchaeus? What's the answer? Jesus. We got it. That's always the answer in church. He looks up. He seeks after him. And then he invites himself. That's a bold move. He invites himself to his house, right? I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. And it is there in the house that Jesus declares salvation over Zacchaeus. Why? Because of his faith. And because guess who's in his house? Jesus. And Jesus' name means God is salvation. So look what's happening here. Zacchaeus is lost. He's trying to be found. He's looking for Jesus. The crowd won't let him see Jesus. So he goes on ahead to try to just see a glimpse of him. And Jesus is the one actually seeking after Zacchaeus because he sees him first. He looks up at him. He invites himself into his house. And Jesus is salvation. And when he steps into his house, Zacchaeus is transformed. Radical transformation comes out of Zacchaeus' mouth. And Jesus declares that today salvation has come to his home. And that's in two ways. One, that's in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' life, and because Jesus is there in the home. The mission of God, the vision of God, is seeking and saving the lost. You see, Jesus is on a mission of entering the homes of people. He's entering the sacred and the secret places of people, represented by their home, transforming lives. What does a home represent? It represents a lot of things for us, right? It represents our passions and our interests. It represents how clean, how clean we, we are or lack thereof, right? You go into someone's home and you see their art, you see their books, you see the way that they arrange things. You can tell something about people. If you open their closet, they shove everything in there before you came over, you know? You can tell. A home represents someone's personality, their strengths, and their weaknesses. When you go into someone's kitchen, you can tell if they're good at cooking. You open the refrigerator, you can tell. You can tell the strengths and weaknesses, personality. A home represents a place of intimacy and deep relationships, for in the home is the family. The home also represents... A place where struggles are manifested. For in places of secrecy and places of safety, places that are sacred, oftentimes our struggles are manifested in a way that they're hidden in other spaces. A home represents a place of refreshment. A place where we can relax and really be ourselves. Because it's safe. It's sacred. There's secrecy there. See, when Jesus is saying that he's inviting himself, he invites himself into Zacchaeus' home, he's doing the same in this church, in your life, and in this city. He's inviting himself into the secret and sacred and safe places of people. He's inviting himself into the whole self of a person. Not just the religious self or the spiritual self. He's inviting himself into every aspect of people into their struggles, into their pain, into their family, into their relationships, into their personality, into their passions, into their interests, into all of what it means to be a person. He's inviting himself into the homes of people. And he's seeking after a certain type of person. 
A person that is lost. A person that is lost like Zacchaeus. Have you ever been lost? It's not fun to be lost, right? And you never know you're lost till you're lost, right? Isn't that weird? Like you can be misguided, but if you know how to get back, you're not really lost. Lost is like, I don't know where I am. There's a a time, I've been lost many times in my life, but maybe some of you think I'm lost all the time, but there's one time where before we had kids, Jessica and I were in Israel and we were backpacking and I wanted to, I wanted to find the original site of Jesus's baptism. Now there is a uh, kind of commercialized site. It's beautiful. People get baptized or rebaptized. There in the Jordan River, it's wonderful, but I wanted to go to the real site. I'm going to find the real site. So we rented a car, and we're driving through the West Bank, and uh, uh, Jessica really trusts me, and so I said, hey, we're going to find this site. Problem is, I have no idea where it is. Just kind of no general direction. So we're driving off-road in the West Bank uh, ourselves, and you know, like, sometimes when you're driving or when you're heading somewhere, and you, when you're lost, all of a sudden it hits you like, this is not good. I have no idea where I am. That's exactly what happened because as we're driving off-road in the West Bank, we see a sign. And the sign says, danger. Live minefield. So at that moment, we had a, a little conversation. Said, time to figure out how to get out of here because we're lost. And I don't think this is where Jesus' baptism site is. We have all... Eventually, obviously, made it out. And, uh, but there's those moments, right, when you're lost and you don't even realize you're lost until you're lost. You're not playing. No one plans to get lost. You have a direction. You have a destination. You have a goal. You have something you're striving after. But then all of a sudden, you get lost in the process. Some of you maybe have felt that or maybe you feel it now in your work. You feel lost. You're directionless. You don't know how you got there. Maybe you feel that in relationships. Maybe you just feel that in life in general. You're just lost. Like, I don't know how I got here or where I'm going or who am I or how do I get back? See, Jesus is seeking and saving people that feel like that, that are asking those questions like, who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? And and how do I get back? Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but here's what I believe Zacchaeus is sensing and feeling. That he's deeply lost. See, Jesus says that he's come to seek and to save the lost, and he declares salvation over Zacchaeus. So it's very clear who's lost in the story. That's Zacchaeus. And I imagine him thinking to himself, who am I? Where am I in life? He's been trying to buy happiness. He's been trying to amass power to feel confident in himself, to feel successful. He's a traitor to his own people. He's hated He has everything in the world, but no one likes him. The crowd won't even allow him to move up because he clearly can't see over them. Who am I? How did I get here? Maybe he's thinking, is it because I had this love of money or maybe because I was pursuing power? Is that how I arrived here? How did I get here? Maybe he's even thinking, maybe the pain of my childhood or the trauma of my childhood being mocked for being short being overlooked for being short. Maybe that did something in me that made me be willing to be a traitor and to try to prove myself as big by being powerful and wealthy. How did I get here? Who am I? How do I get back? You see, there's a spark or a, 
an understanding in his mind to say, wait, maybe if I just see a glimpse of Jesus, I don't know who I am, I don't know how I got here, I don't know where I'm going, but, but maybe if I just see a glimpse of Jesus, I can get back. So he runs ahead and climbs up that tree just, just to see him. He just wants to see him. And Jesus invites him to his home and his life is forever changed. You see, this is exactly who God is pursuing. This is the vision of God. He's pursuing people. He's seeking after people that are lost, that are saying to themselves, I don't know who I am and I don't know how I got here and I don't know how to get back. I want to get back. I don't know. He's looking up and looking out to people like that. He's looking to bring salvation to the homes of people, to the whole self of people. This is God's vision, which means it's to be our vision because we are the house or the home of God. Here's the problem, friends. The vision of God's people is often different from God's vision. Oftentimes, we're more like the crowd. That's not who we're meant to be. We're meant to have the same vision that Jesus has, looking for people that are lost because we were once lost, but now we're found. So we're looking and caring for and praying for people that don't know where they are, how they get there, or how to get back. A place of belonging, a place of freedom, a place of grace, a place without labels or restrictions upon people just to pursue Jesus. Not a place where people have to climb trees to see him, but they can just come in. That's who the church is supposed to be. Our vision that God has given us, and yet oftentimes we're like the crowd. See, people in our city are lost. Many of us in this room can recognize those moments and those times in our life where we were lost before we were found by Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel that that's exactly where you are. That's why you're at church. You're like, hopefully it's safe because I feel lost. Maybe Jesus. Our city is full of millions of people who are lost. And you know what their perception of the church is? We're like the crowd. We're judgmental. We're detached from real issues and we're not trustworthy. We're linked up. They're to our back. We're so focused on Jesus that we have our back to other people. You know that can be the case? The crowd wants to see what Jesus is going to say. They want to learn from Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. They want to walk alongside of Jesus. But Jesus is rebuking the crowd because he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus who they have kept out. He says, I'm going to your house. Sometimes the church can be so focused on their own individual faith and pursuing Jesus that you're ignoring everybody else. You're keeping other people away from God. You're saying, hey, hey, go find your own way. Like, this is me and Jesus and those friends around me. This is our Jesus click. You go find your own runner along head. The crowd. Don't be the crowd. Don't reinforce labels upon people. Don't act with judgment. Don't be so focused on Jesus that you push others away from him church can be like the crowd sometimes but Jesus is on a mission and Jesus's mission friends is to look up for people and to look out for people that are feeling lost and our mission is to be the same we are to be a church that is bringing the home of God to others 
We're building the home of God together as we focus on Jesus together, as we pursue Jesus, as we create a culture of grace and generosity and love. But we're to bring the home to Jesus. The home of Jesus into people's spaces, into your work, into your school, into your social circles, into your family. Bring it in. Listen, oftentimes the church can feel like a bunch of people lined up with their backs to the world. You know how we're supposed to stand sideways? Looking at Jesus and inviting people in. Hey, hey, come in. Come see him. You don't have to run and climb a tree. Come and be here. Now, I was reading the news this morning, and I debated whether or not I was going to share this, but I'm just going to share it now. I was reading the news this morning, and, uh, I, and I, was, I feel like constantly I'm reading the news, and just sadness, tragedy, violence, hatred. There's a, a nightclub in Colorado Springs uh, where there were, I think, at least five that were killed. I was on the news and I was reading some of the reports. And the nightclub was an LGBTQIA nightclub. I don't know the reports. I don't know the whole story. I don't know the motivation. But I know the history of it. And I know the hatred. And I'm on Twitter, so I, I see it. And I was sitting there thinking... Has a church done a, great, a good job of inviting all people, including people of, of that community, to see Jesus? Or do we tell people to run a long head and climb a tree? Try to see him from there, because you're not welcome here. You see, we are to be a people that opens up spaces for all people. Because here's the truth. Let me tell you this. Every single person in the world is made in the image of God. Do you know that? Every single person is made in the image of God and is deserving of respect and dignity and love. And the church is to be a place where people feel that, where we invite them to see Jesus before we talk about anything else. Jesus does not look up at Zacchaeus and say, hey, buddy, I want to come to your house and I want to bring salvation to your home, but we need to first deal with the fact that you're a tax collector doesn't even address it. He just invites him down. Hey, I'm coming to spend time with you. I want to pour my love and my grace upon you, and salvation comes to the home. Would we be a church that is not concerned about labels and is not looking to tell people to climb trees, to come peek in and see Jesus, but everyone can belong? You can come here, and you can belong. Amen. Because all people are made in the image of God, and Jesus is pursuing people who feel lost. We were lost. We're no better than anybody else. We're all lost, but we're found in Jesus. And I pray that we would be a community and we would be a church where people say, hey, listen, they stand on truth. They stand on conviction. They, they believe in their Bible. They'll have hard conversations. They'll step into difficult waters. But you know what? You can be loved there. You can belong there. And you can be invited to see Jesus and, and walk through your questions of faith there. It's safe. Would we be that kind of church, that kind of people, opening up the circle for other people to come in and just see Jesus before we do anything else? Because that's what we all needed, to be invited to see Jesus. Allow him to change us. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you have invited us to you. Lord, you have invaded our heart. You have come into 
our lives, the home of our heart. And you have transformed all of us. You have changed all of us through faith. By grace through faith, not because of anything else, but simply because you are looking for people that are lost so that we might be found. You are on a mission to seek and to save. Would we be on that mission with you? Have your vision, God, not the vision of the crowd. Would we be people opening up the circle for all people to come in and to see you, not telling people to go climb trees and look down? Because, Jesus, you will look for them anyway. But we want to be your people that have your vision and have your heart and have a community of safety and of openness and a place where people can belong before they believe. Would we be that type of people here in this room on Sunday night? And would we be those type of people in our work, in our social circles, in our classrooms, in our families, online, in every space and place that we occupy? Will we just bring you, Jesus, not judgment, not detachment? We bring you. And will we celebrate the way that you're seeking and saving people as you have sought after us and saved us? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.